Um, hey, good morning. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, happy New Year. New Year, new me. Living, living with 2024 vision. Remember in 2020 when, and then. Funny, like, because it hurts so bad, funny, you know? Yeah, funny, like, <laughs> it still hurts what happened. Um, if this is your first Sunday, welcome. This is going to be an intimate conversation this morning. Um, so if at any point uh, you feel confused or disoriented, it's all good. Um, I do think, I'm, I'm sure God wants to speak to you just as much as anyone else here today. I, I do believe that. Um, admittedly, today I'm, I'm going to share some things that have been floating around in my heart that I have really struggled to put words to. Um, I'm not about to announce a teaching series. Uh, I'm not really giving a sermon today, technically, I, I don't think. I don't really know. I, don't actually, I never actually really thought hard about what makes a sermon a sermon, so maybe it is a sermon. God, Leona... Chill out. I don't know where she gets her extroverted self. Um, but uh, anyway, today will be a pretty intimate conversation. And uh, admittedly, it's, it is going to be directed at the church, uh, the church being the assembled body of believers, the, the assembled body of people that profess Jesus as Lord of their life. Okay, um, that's an important caveat, I think, um, to what I'm about to say. Um, I, I've wrestled with how to say anything. Uh, you can ask Gentry any time that I've tried to articulate what is stirring in me. I often sound the way I sound right now. Like all of you are still wondering what I'm gonna say, and, I, and so am I. Um, it's hard to put flesh on, on what my what I sense is stirring in my heart. And, and honestly, it's hard to sense what I have permission to say. I don't want to manipulate or emotionally hijack the conversation or um, in arrogance worship my feelings instead of what I sense like the Lord is actually saying. I think I have permission to say everything I'm saying. I know the way I sound right now is somewhat abnormal, not all the way abnormal, but a little bit. Like I'm, I keep using this language of permission I've been convinced lately that more often than we give God credit for, he is inviting us to be quiet and to wait until he says move. I think he's revealed to me my arrogance I'm too quick to not wait, you know. 
I'm too in a hurry. I have too many important things at times to, to wait until he says, you have permission to get off your knees. I have granted you permission to leave this closet. I am, I have, I've spoken what I want to speak over you. So I'm going to share some stuff, and I really wrestle with how much of this is just aimed directly at my heart versus for the church. Obviously, everything I'm about to say, well, maybe it's not obvious. My hope is everything that I'm about to say, I have permission to say out loud that God, in, in fact, wanted me to say it to the church family. But I would invite you in on that discerning journey. Uh, don't just assume because I said something that, you know, that's God's word. Think, you know, with fear and trembling, you know, let's just listen and discern. I will hand you the responsibility of inviting the Holy Spirit to do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart. So let's just, let's go. Um, I'm, I'm really actually thankful there's no projector. We need to read our Bibles. Um, so if you have a physical Bible, open it. If you've got a phone, Matthew 5, 14. We're going to be hopping around, but I don't know. Do, do what you want. If you want to turn with me everywhere, it's fine. If not, that's also fine. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. That's like probably two-thirds of your Bible, two-thirds of the way in. First book of the New Testament. Jesus is talking to a group of believers. And he says, describing disciples and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, okay? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, okay? So that's who you are, follower of Jesus. This is an identity that Jesus is speaking over you. You are the light of the world. You're like a city that is set on a hill. Now, we now have a lot of light pollution and noise pollution in a lot of cities, but at this time, picture a barren land, desert, no noise, no light. Picture what a city on a hill would look like. How visible it would be from great distances. A city on a hill would stand out, impossible to miss. In the midst of a barren land, in the midst of death, there would be life. He says right before that, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I think I've been at a, a loss for words 
I am admittedly intimidated by the true call of King Jesus on his church and what that church from the inside of who we actually are into how we live our lives is supposed to look. The true call on the church of Jesus Christ is to be a light in the dark, a city set on a hill, impossible to miss. I am not talking to the American church or some church down the road. This church's call, this church, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your call from King Jesus himself. You are not just loved. That is the starting point of your relationship with Christ, that you are loved. You are labeled. You are to be the light of the world. That is your calling to make disciples. If you are a Christian, that is your calling. We love asking questions around calling. Your calling is to make disciples. That's your calling. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. That's the calling of this church. And if this is your church, that's your calling. And when I picture my life, Joshua's life, not your life, my personal life, juxtaposed to the, the men and women that call themselves Christians in this Bible, Idolatry is so normalized that we cannot see it. I cannot see it. I know. She's ready. I hope y'all are ready. She's ready. I, I always wonder what that would be like, and it is hard to focus when she makes those noises. When you're swimming in a culture of idolatry, so self-indulgent, so incredibly narcissistic, so incredibly main character, God has helped me understand that I am not in it, not of it. I have been of it. I am, an I am an idolater. And the trap that I fall into is comparing myself to other people 
And if I'm being fully transparent, I'm transparent in my, in, in my sin, and I try to be tra- at least somewhat appropriately transparent in, in that I don't think very highly of, of myself. I never, ever want to sound like I'm talking down. I also want to be honest. When I look at myself compared to some, I go, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Right? Anybody else do that? Like, not cocky, just like, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm okay. Pretty good, honestly. I hear stories about other husbands and dads. I'm doing all right. And I feel like this past like 35, 40 days, Jesus has like helped me take my picture of my life and compare it to his, to his self. And going, how are you doing? How are you doing? It's hard for us in this culture to a picture Jesus himself walking through the door. And his sinless, non-idolatrous self with all the love in his heart, but also the identity that he has on you going like looking into your eyes, looking at your life, paying attention to how you think, how you spend your time. A Pharisee looks at others to feel better about themselves. A disciple looks to Jesus Revelations 3, 20, it's tatted on my wife's arm. That's not why I'm talking about it right now, though. I just thought you should know, apparently. (laughs) It's not in my notes either. Here we are. Hey, baby, love your forearm tattoo. In Revelations 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. It's this really beautiful passage. I mean, just imagine sweet Jesus knocking on the door and coming in to share a meal for anyone that welcomes him. Just before that, he says in the same paragraph, same, there's no break in the conversation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He says, listen, those whom I love, hear that word. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. These are red letters. So be zealous and repent. Zeal, remember we talked about that the last time we were together? Peter cutting off the ear, zealous, eager, enthusiastic about his purpose and his calling. Put his foot in his mouth a lot of times because he was zealous. But Jesus says, be zealous and what? Repent. Repentance is not, oh God, I'm sorry I did it again. Repentance, turn to Jesus and run to him with all your heart. Walk to him. If you don't got that energy, crawl to him or just fall on your face where you are going, I don't know, but I just, I need you, King Jesus. That's repentance. I do not know the way. You know the way. Show me the way. If Jesus does not sit 100% on the throne of your heart without compromise, without dilution, if Christ does not sit 100% on the throne of the heart of this church, we cannot be. We cannot be 
a Matthew 5, 14 church, a city on a hill, a light in the dark. That is the call of Jesus. I'm very proud of this church. I'm not mad right now. I'm in my feelings. Something is stirring in me. I used to say this phrase, last year I used it in a sermon in January, walking is winning. One step at a time. And I believe that. Jesus is so kind, he's so patient. So I don't know how all this fits in the same conversation. We have to leave it up to a complex and mysterious and all loving and all holy God. So I'm not putting like a weird sense of pressure or performative pressure on this church. But as I've been thinking about, you know, what kind of church is going to survive this world that we now find ourselves in? What church will be the uncompromised body of Christ? It will be a church that stands on the solid rock. And Matthew 7 tells us we stand on the solid rock by hearing and doing what Jesus says. In that parable of the house on the sand and the house on the rock, both people hear the words of Christ. They both hear Jesus talking. They heard the same sermon from the same Savior. And Jesus says, one of them's a fool, a fool. That word doesn't carry the weight it once did. But imagine Jesus calling you to your face, a fool. And one's a wise man. The only thing that distinguishes is one went and applied the words of Jesus to their very life. That one was a house on the rock. And when the storms came, because storms have already come and they are coming into us personally, into us globally, whatever, the house that stands is the one that is devoted to obedience to King Jesus without lowering or diluting his commands. Walking is still winning. Just one step at a time. I think I'm only going to talk about two more things. I originally had four. I scratched one on Thursday, and I scratched another this morning. We'll see what happens. There's two things, at the very least for today, that I'm praying for. And these both hit very close to home with me. And I am, I, I believe in hum- like God, please, like I believe that I'm supposed to say this out loud and I, I believe it's connected to Matthew 5, 14, if we're gonna be a city on a hill. And thank you for following this like basically diary for you. And anyway, so number one, I am praying for freedom from addiction. If you are taking notes, if you are not taking notes, please write this down. As you pray for our church, Please begin praying for freedom, total freedom, from any and all addiction. 
Okay. If you don't know my story, please understand me and addiction have held hands for a long time. When I was 10, accidentally found porn. Late teens, early 20s, alcohol, weed. 20s, sexual purity. Now, I love caffeine. It is legitimately a drug in my life. I do not say that lightheartedly. And I'm, in Jesus' name, we're gonna, we're gonna do it. I'm serious. I want to live one year and look back and go, I'm not addicted. I'm free. My brain is not desperately clinging for, on for, for hope. Please, I need a dopamine release so bad. In Jesus' name, one day I will stand up here and go, guys, I'm not kidding. I do not have a sugar addiction and I do not have a caffeine addiction. Therefore, I am addiction free. I am not there. I'm not there. I didn't Google this, but I just asked myself, what are the most common addictions? Who knows if I'm right? But I bet these hit home. Sugar. We don't want to talk about it. What's the one indictment you'll hear about church sometimes? Oh, they preach about every sin, but not gluttony. Right? Ever heard, ever heard anyone like do that? Chastise pastors? Okay, here we are. How's it feel? Sugar. It's an addiction. Worse than cocaine. Science backed. Okay? Phone. Caffeine. TV slash video games. Gotcha. <laughs> For all those that are like TV, but what about if it's a device that connects to the TV, you know? So any streaming services, cable, that's four. Number five, alcohol. Number six, weed. Recreational drugs like Adderall, cocaine, ecstasy, molly, or some other drug that I've never heard of because I'm actually getting to that point where I don't know stuff. Number seven, porn or sex, either one. Number eight, gambling. Number nine, shopping. That's nine. And I asked myself a simple follow-up. Guys, if you feel shame here, do, do not let the enemy play pit, like just pitiful games. Let, let's, get, let's, let's be grown-ups. Like, seriously, you, are, you could not be more loved. Name your addictions, and then I'll name mine. And, and, and we'll just, I'll win. I'm gonna win. Let me win. I'll tell you my testimony and I will dominate. I promise. Like this, if you hear this through a judgmental tone, don't assume that's like true shame. Maybe assume the enemy is going, how do I keep you addicted? I'll help you feel like Josh is being judgmental right now. And I'll help you stop listening. Yeah, don't listen. To him. He doesn't understand. He's being, oh, oh, he's being pretty judgmental right now. Like, don't let that, come on, come on. All right. I asked myself, of the nine, how many is the average person of HV carrying? Look, safe bet, four. Some of you are like, it was only two. Okay. <laughs> Way to go. Some of you are like, shoot, it was all nine. Welcome. You're home. You're a family member here. We love it. 
not scared of it, not intimidated. <laughs> I, I pictured myself reading all nine and someone going, Mayday, <laughs> it was all nine. I was like Steph Curry from addiction. I was like, I did not miss a shot. Oh man, it's tough, ain't it? It's crazy, man. We laugh at it, but it's, it's freaking hard. Addiction says I have to have, right? No negotiating, no compromising. You'll find any sentence or any reason to justify the action when you're addicted. And it may mask itself in, this feels good right now. But long-term, your best case is it builds apathy in you. It turns off the part of you that wants to give effort to growing and maturing and healing. Worst case, it gets deep and dark, okay? Addiction is the opposite of vision. Vision goes, who do I want to be when I'm 60, when I'm 70, when I'm 80? What's King Jesus calling me to? What's he growing in me? Addiction's the opposite of that. Addiction has the next few hours in mind. And our culture, guys, so pivotal we understand, our culture has made a commodity of addiction, and so they've normalized addiction, so we don't use the word addiction unless we use it tongue-in-cheek. Oh, I'm so addicted. no. Are you addicted? Does something have a hold on your brain? Jesus makes Matthew 11 this wonderful invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here is a serious problem. Addiction makes the exact same invitation. Come to me. Are you sad? Come to me. Are you exhausted? Come to me. Are you celebrating? Come to me. You bored? Come to me. Did you just get home from work? Come to me. Did your wife just leave the house? Come to me. Did your friend just hurt your feelings? Come to me. You got pain, you don't know how to find healing from it? Come to me. Jesus says, drink the water I offer, never thirst again. Addiction says, drink the water I offer, I will keep you thirsty for the rest of your life. It's so different. Addiction is a direct war on the hope of 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. It says, contentment plus godliness is great gain. Addiction is war on the word contentment. Contentment is, I have what I need in Christ. Ball game. It's a very short list. If I'm getting technical, Paul says just before that, food, shelter, and then God, and then we're good. Okay? Food, shelter, God. You need nothing else. If your list is longer than that, there is a godly contentment on the table for us. Jesus promises rest, but who's he promising it for? Those who come to him. We want to go to everything and him. I personally have chosen to go to things before I go to him. Unless we know how to fully go to Jesus, we cannot fully experience and establish his rest in our souls. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, what? Pluck it out. 
remove all stumbling blocks. Because what do stumbling blocks do? They slow you down. They cause you to trip and fall on your way to King Jesus. Only Jesus can offer rest. And so any addiction, and maybe it's not an addiction, maybe it's just an idol. And any addiction or any idol that is is preventing you from running wholeheartedly to King Jesus, I am praying for freedom. Over the next 10 years, time is on your side. God, I don't think God is like ready to like shame you all year long if you don't find total and complete freedom this year. But I know he wants you to be free. I know that for a fact. In Christ alone, there is complete and total freedom. Number two, I'm praying for healing over any and all wounding. I have to move a note down that I skipped, but I need to come back to it. Hold on. Okay. Any and all wounding. Many of us are walking around and we're wounded. We have genuine pain and hurt in our souls, whether from our own sin, that's me. My sin has hurt me. It has hurt others, but it has hurt me. Maybe it was unforeseen circumstances that you did not ask for, deserve, see coming. Maybe it was by death or sickness, hurt caused by a trusted friend, an enemy. Maybe you just have deep regrets, but we have wounds. And I'm just praying for this posture in this church that we know how to come before God first. Search me. Know me. Show me my anxious thoughts. God, where am I wounded and why? Show me the way. God, I feel angry. Why am I angry? God, I I can just tell I'm grieving. Why am I grieving? When we don't come before the Lord regularly and, and, and give him permission to reveal and to heal wounds, here's some threats on your life that I just want to name. Again, all this is just for our good. I know it's heavy, but like, man, life, I'm telling you. Okay, anyway. One, you might learn to compress what you're feeling. You might actually train yourself to feel less. So the peaks of joy get lower and the depths of despair don't go quite as deep anymore. You're no longer this wholehearted, whole person because you've trained yourself. Oh, that thought or that moment or that trauma or that pain point, it hurts too much. But that that decision to not feel all that pain, but just to feel a little bit of it, it's not without consequence. It trains you to not feel everywhere else too. And if you're supposed to have a range of emotions and to feel in a healthy way, 
as you experience life and things hurt you and you teach yourself to compress, what you really start doing is this right here. And you can still feel happy and sad, but you can't quite get to joy and you can't quite get to despair, which is what you need to fully process life. Jesus wept. He was anxious to the point of death. Jesus himself normalized the emotional spectrum. But some of us have learned to compress. I have experienced this. When I had Leona on a walk, I looked at her face and I felt joy trying to go higher than my heart would allow it. I was hitting a ceiling that I had not always had. And I'm learning, oh, there's some pain. My last three years has been a tornado, like a lot of yours. My last three years started with a tornado, ironically. And then a week later, COVID came, shut down the whole world. Calamity hit my life personally. Friend groups were, went through some tough times. My family went through some deep, tough times. And I looked up and went, oh, it's not disconnected what my last three years has looked like and, and the ceiling I'm feeling on the joy of looking at my daughter. I've learned to compress because it's overwhelming to feel it all. I don't want to. Okay. Maybe it's full-on suppression. This is the part of your heart that just kind of dies. You just teach that we are not feeling that again. That's done. And instead of finding total and true healing, you just suppress the fact that you're hurting and you forget it. This can be especially true with death, with heartbreak, with despair, with deep disappointment. I do think that some of us have suppressed pain to such a degree that we've forgotten that it is alive in us. There's perhaps some wounding that we never brought to Jesus, never brought to the safe community and let Jesus really speak into that and we're still carrying it. And maybe you've forgotten it until right now as I'm speaking. You might notice whether you're compressing or suppressing or something different, that you are actively and consistently taking your hurt and misdirecting it to those around you. You find yourself cynical, judgmental, impatient, emotionally volatile, quick to anger, quick to judge, quick to assume someone is speaking or thinking evil of you. And the truth is all of it is because you have wounding. You have some hurts from some place that Jesus has yet to really heal in you. And I'm praying that we learn how to come before a Jesus who describes himself as gentle and lowly, so approachable. Jesus does not want half-hearted humans as his church, half-healed humans. He is a healer. And any wound you have is best suited in the hands of Jesus. He will heal it. I'm not promising painless. I'm not even promising that when he heals, there won't ever be pain again from that place. Things like death never leave us. But I do believe that he wants to bring remarkable healing to this church. 
it will take some real courage out of us to bring the things we hate thinking about, hate feeling, hate acknowledging, and to put it out there. Search me, know me. I've learned that I can't be too dramatic with God, which is such a relief because I can be too dramatic with anyone else. I can't be too mad in God's presence, too sad, too confused, too frustrated. I've learned that I can come before the Lord and I'm like, I've learned meaning I'm in kindergarten on this lesson, but I have learned that I can come before God when I'm angry and say every single thing. He's teaching me, hey, the things you're saying to me are already in you, they're alive. You're not deciding if they're real or not. You're deciding if you're gonna tell me or not. The decision is not if you're angry. The decision is if you're going to tell me with a pure heart that you're angry so that by putting it before me, I can touch it. I can speak into it. I can heal it. And who knows, in your time of bringing your, your deep grief before the Lord, he might teach you and go, hey, now that you've done this, I'm gonna lead you. You need professional help and you need to have no shame about it. Hey, you need to bring this to that brother or that sister. You're hurt because they hurt you or you're hurt because you hurt them. You need to go make this right. This will bring healing. He may tell you, hey, this healing journey is between me and you for the next five years. We're just gonna walk. Or maybe he'll say, just, just keep coming back to me day after day, we're gonna heal. I don't know. But if we don't come before God and bring those wounds, bring those hurts, bring those pains, bring those addictions, bring that idolatry before him and let him touch it, you know, I really think Jesus wants to heal, but we have to be vulnerable and courageous enough to trust that he will heal and humble enough to receive his reprovement and his discipline. He reproves and disciplines those he what? He reproves and disciplines those he what? He loves. Our annual month of fasting and praying is coming up in a few weeks. We call it Awaken. Mm -hmm. Every day, all day. It's, I'm, this is my one freebie sermon, okay? Next week, I am not allowed to get distracted by those noises. But it's like a baby pterodactyl, you know what I mean? Um, I'm done after this, though. Never again, Leona. Um, but what is fasting? Fasting is going more than I need food. I am gonna train my body that more than I need food, I need the presence of God. When you fast, make sure you look good. Don't look weak. Don't let the world know you're fasting. Between you and God, when you fast, something happens in our hearts in our alignment with the presence of God. When we go, God, more than I need food, I need your presence. The fasting season is a wonderful time to seek healing and to lay down addiction, to remove all obstacles and go, with all my heart, 
I'm pursuing you, King Jesus. I don't even know what that sentence means, but I'm gonna try. He will reward that. I know it because he says it when he talks about prayer and fasting in Matthew 6. Your father who sees you will reward you. There are soul level rewards that are yours for the taking if you will seek the face of Jesus. And so, yeah, I'm done. I, that's the two points. I had, a, I had four originally. Imagine. And so for communion, one, I, I want you to do what you feel prompted to do. So seriously, like ask the Lord, like, is this a time for me to circle up or do I, do I, do, is there some stuff staring at me that I actually need to write now, pen and paper process with, with God? But if you're willing, I, I want us to circle up in groups of two or three and I want us to pray for our church for this year. I, we have many, guys, there are so many testimonies to be had up here. There, 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 are, there are tens and tens, if not hundreds of testimonies to be testified up here of God healing. There is hope. Whatever you're carrying, I promise you, there is hope for you. There is healing for you. There is freedom for you. So I want us to pray as a church, Father, please, I know I got brought... I know I'm carrying stuff, but I know I got brothers and sisters in here also carrying stuff and it's heavy. And it's not just a moral issue. It's a chemical issue. It's addictive. Father, will you help us pave the way to freedom and addiction? God, will you give freedom in this place? Freedom in you, Jesus. Show us the ways both in prayer and practical. Please show us how to find freedom. Please bring freedom to my brothers and sisters in this church. Something happens in the heart of a believer when we learn to pray for other believers. Pray for this church and pray for healing. So many of us are carrying around deep wounds and we don't know what to do with them. And we're so used to them, we've learned to worship them or forget they're there. Jesus wants to heal it. So my invitation is that you just pray for the church. Jesus, may this church be marked by freedom from addiction and healing from wounding this year. There's communion in the inside chairs. The people that come here, y'all know where it's at. Spend a few minutes just praying for the church. Let the Holy Spirit guide your prayer.